I'm David Marcus, host of Drinks with the Deal, and today our guest is Laura Ariani, an M&A partner at Sherman and Sterling in New York. Laura, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. So we're going to talk about several things on today's podcast, a little bit about you, your background, how you came to corporate law and then to M&A, and then your transition to Sherman and what you're seeing in the market now. So with that, tell us a little bit about your background, how you came to law school and how you came to have the practice you do. So I grew up in Yemen. My father is Yemeni. My mother is from the Philippines and I grew up in Yemen and thought I was going to go to law school from a relatively early age. My family has been involved in government for generations. And in my mind, I wanted to become a lawyer and come back to Yemen and spend a career working in public service like my family had been doing for so long and working to improve or strengthen the institutions of law in Yemen. But I went to college in the US. I went to law school and started to have second thoughts about the feasibility of going back home and whether or not I wanted to create optionality for staying in the US and building a career here and decided that if I couldn't go back to Yemen to make Yemen a better place, I would do that here in the United States. And I would work on making a difference here and and became very fixated on public interest work and impact litigation in particular. I was going to go work for the ACLU. I was going to work for legal aid. I was going to spend a career working on public interest cases. So you wanted to do public interest law early in your law school career. And one of your summer associate jobs, you actually found a firm that had a focus on that. Talk about that experience. Yeah. So I was really focused on public interest. I'm still really interested in those areas. And as a law student, I worked on the Guantanamo cases. I went to Guantanamo a number of times. I was one of the only Yemenis in the Guantanamo courtroom, not sitting in the defendant seat. And so it was really important to me. It was really something I was very passionate about. And so for my first law school summer after 2L, uh, so my first practice summer, because as a 1L, I went and worked for the government. I summered at a firm that was a boutique firm that focuses on civil rights litigation. And I intended to go into private practice at a large corporate law firm eventually, but I wanted the opportunity to try out the kind of civil rights litigation practice that I felt was the driver behind the way I was planning my future career. And so I spent the summer at this firm. It was amazing. I mean, the partners were all phenomenal practitioners with these illustrious careers who had pivoted into the civil rights space. And I spent the summer working on a civil rights class action case. And it was a fantastic case. It was really fascinating. It was a good cause. I mean, it had all of the hallmarks of the kind of thing I wanted to do going forward. And I could not wait by the end of the summer to get back to law school. I just, the actual sort of day-to-day of practice as a litigator just was not something that I could see myself doing long-term, I really just did not enjoy it. Just looked into my future and just couldn't imagine myself doing that long-term. Well, that's a really fascinating point because it illustrates that even though you can care deeply about the issues a practice raises, or in another context, even though you may love, say, entertainment, you may not love being an entertainment lawyer, or you may not, in your case, enjoy the litigation that's at the core of civil rights litigation. So talk about that realization, what you didn't enjoy as much about litigation, and then how you came to focus on corporate work. 
I don't want to be too hard on what the litigators do. Obviously, it is a personal preference of mine. And there are some people who love it and do it really well. As much as my family members and friends may think I am an adversarial person at times, the adversarial nature of it, I think, was isolating. And then some of the practice parts of the work I found to be a little bit more challenging. I I just didn't really care about civil procedure or blue booking. I mean, not that anyone is going to get really passionate about blue booking, but I really hated these more technical, more tedious aspects of it. And so once I came to that realization, I pivoted to corporate transactional work as something that I had now belatedly made my decision as something I wanted to do. I mean, really, it was the only thing that was left, right, based on where I was standing and found a job at Chadbourne and Park. I am forever grateful for the partner who gave me a chance and offered me a position there, even though I hadn't summered there and really liked it. I graduated in 2008. So it was a very challenging economic time for transactional lawyers. And I can't tell you that I was always very busy or that my work was consistently in one practice area. I did a little bit of fund formation. I did a lot of bankruptcy at the time and eventually landed in a general practice position that was split between M&A and capital markets, but sat squarely within the Latin American practice group at Chadbourne Park. So talk, first of all, about what you enjoyed about your corporate practice and how your corporate practice evolved as you were an associate. And then also about the reality that a summer associate or a young associate may think they know what they want to do and what they like, but in reality, they may have no idea. And it may take a couple of years to figure that out. The good news is that careers are long and changes can be made. And frankly, as much as I've changed my practice in one way or another over the course of my career thus far, I mean, it's all been additive to my experience as a lawyer and and frankly, as a person. And so I started out, as I mentioned, at Chadbourne and Park within the Latin American practice and loved the clients. I loved the work. I got to travel. I loved the people that I was working with. And I just really enjoyed it. But I don't speak Spanish fluently. And from a longevity perspective, it didn't really make a whole lot of sense for me, I didn't think, to continue to try to be a a practitioner and specifically focused on Latin America. But everything I did up to that point was absolutely exciting. It was exactly the kind of work that made me continue to want to be a transactional lawyer, reaffirm my decision to do corporate work, and then eventually led me to transition into M&A practice more specifically. So what was it that you found you liked about the corporate context? Was it learning about the businesses? Was it the sense that you were involved with the client and helping the client develop the business? Was it the negotiation of various contracts or some combination of all of that? Yeah, it's some combination of all of them. For a lot of associates today that start, I mean, certainly at Sherman and certainly at a lot of our peer firms, They may not have as much diversity, maybe as I did. So I think depending on the work that I was doing, the benefits to the experience varied, obviously. As a capital markets lawyer, it was incredibly collaborative, working not only with the client, but working with counsel representing the banks. So I made friends who continue to be people that I see today with the people that I worked with on these deals. I don't know that would have happened if I became a litigator. I mean, I don't know. I should ask my litigator friends whether or not they've ever developed personal relationships and friendships with opposing counsel. They probably have. And I don't mean to cut them short shrift, but everybody working towards the same goal 
was just something I really enjoyed. I liked working with the clients. I liked being able to interact with them. As a young associate, particularly in doing the high yield debt work that I did at the time, I was sent to go to Mexico, to Spain. I mean, I, I was basically put on a plane and said, go to the client and go and write an offering memorandum. I don't know that people do that in person anymore. And so I thought that was really exciting as a young 20-something-year-old being put on a business class seat to cross the Atlantic to go and sit with a client and write something. It was just really, really fun. And so talk about how your practice gravitated to M&A and how you thought about transitioning to a practice that wouldn't be as focused on Latin America. So I knew I wanted to leave the Latin America practice and that I wanted to pivot into a practice area that was a lot more diverse and general in its geographic focus. And I knew I wanted to be an M&A lawyer. I was a mid-level at the time that I started thinking about making a transition. And I was looking forward to the skills that I needed to develop legally as a draftsman, as a lawyer. And I was much more excited about the prospect of learning how to do M&A really, really well and doing it for longer term than I was about continuing down the capital markets path. So when I started to look around at other law firms and other practice groups that did the kind of work that I was focused on, I naturally looked to Sherman and Sterling because it had exactly the kinds of things that I was really interested in doing. I, it had the kind of cross-border international work that I had been doing up to that point in my career, but a lot more diverse than just Latin America. And it had the kind of M&A practice that I wanted to be a part of. Really significant strategic work, a lot of really fantastic deals, and a really strong team that I was really eager to learn from as I made the transition. Was there a deal or a couple of deals earlier in your career that helped you move toward M&A? Or was it more just comparing what you were doing on M&A transactions versus capital markets transactions? That's a good question. I was doing M&A over the course of my career since the beginning. So it wasn't like I hadn't been doing M&A and then I suddenly met M&A and, and thought, where have you been all my life? And, and this is what I want to do. <laughs> but for some of the earlier parts of my career, I was doing more capital markets and it became a little bit more, at least at that level, right? As a junior lawyer, I mean, how much do you really know? But at least at that level, it was more familiar, right? I knew what I needed to do at that level. I was learning. I was able to operate pretty independently in, in certain respects. And so once I had that down, once I was operating in that space at that level on some of the capital markets deals that I was working on, and then found myself doing M&A alongside that, I realized, look, there's this one practice area that I know really well. And then I, again, I, I like the people, I like the clients, I like the work. And then there's this other practice area, M&A. And frankly, I have a lot more to learn. And I'm not as savvy. I'm not as facile. I have less experience at this particular part of my career, but I'm still much more excited about doing this kind of work. And that to me was a huge indicator, right? It's not that I was unhappy. It's just that when I thought about what I wanted to do more of, the thing that I was looking to was the practice area that I was, again, at that time, a little bit less familiar with, a little bit more uncomfortable in. And so the desire to continue doing that, to get comfortable with the discomfort and sort of really put the investment into learning how to come up the curve in a practice area that I wasn't as familiar with, I think was just a strong indicator to me that M&A was something I wanted to do much more. 
So talk about becoming comfortable with feeling a little uncomfortable. Because I'm assuming even as a partner, you're seeing things you haven't quite seen before. You're meeting new people. So talk about that process of accepting that you may always be just a little uncomfortable and that that's actually a good thing. Yeah, it is a good thing. I mean, I I remember one example when I was a second year or third year, I was supposed to be flying down to Mexico to visit with a client to work on the document. And I was not supposed to be going alone. I was supposed to be supporting two partners who were also working on the deal. And just as I was about to board the plane, I heard from them that neither of them were going to be able to come because they were both tied up. And it's like sort of overwhelmed. Like, are you serious? <laughs> are you sending me down to Mexico to meet this client that I've only spoken with once to do this thing that I've only done a couple of times before? I mean, okay, I'll do that. I'll do my best. And I got on a plane and I met with the client and it was fantastic. I really, on my own without partner supervision, for better or for worse, was able to really develop a relationship with the client that continues until this day and had the sort of independence and the free reign to be able to interact and to do the work that I was going to be doing anyway, but was doing sort of independently. And it was really uncomfortable. It was really scary. I had no idea that I was going to be able to pull it off. But I think it was an emergency situation given the circumstances. And to some extent, it was a vote of confidence in me by the partners who let me go down there rather than cancel the meeting. It was a vote of confidence in me it forced me to rise to the occasion and to do the work that was otherwise expected to have been done by more than just one person and certainly by more than just a a second or third year. And it's these sort of moments of really uncomfortable, sometimes unexpected events where associates and, and also partners find themselves in circumstances where they haven't prepared because something has gone off script and they need to be able to navigate it to sort of a smooth landing. And sometimes the most important lessons are learned in those moments. As you thought about how you wanted to develop your career, what you enjoyed, what what you maybe didn't enjoy as much, who did you talk with in that process? Were there mentors at Chadbourne you talked with, or were you talking with friends from law school and your contemporaries who were going through the same thing, which helped you clarify what you wanted to do? I did not talk to many people when I was an associate, which is going to sound really rich to any of the associates that know me now because I constantly tell them to talk to people. But I didn't. I did not talk to people when I was coming up. I didn't talk to people enough. I mean, I spoke with people, but I didn't talk to people about career development. Maybe it was because I graduated in 2008 and then saw the layoffs that happened in 2009 and was born in this mindset of like paranoia, right? (laughs) I I, I remember. (laughs) Right? I mean, it was a really scary time. And for the longest time, I mean, well after 2009, I was always looking over my shoulder waiting for the other shoe to drop. It took me a while to get over that. And I know that a lot of my peers who came into the practice of law at that time felt the same way. And so I didn't talk to people about my career because I was too scared that if I let people know that I was second guessing things or that I wasn't sure or that I would somehow backfire. And I mean, what a mistake it was. And that's why I'm constantly telling the associates around me to talk to people because the questions that they're asking themselves, these aren't new questions, right? I mean, they're obviously unique to each person who's asking them, 
But these are problems that people have been dealing with and continue to deal with in the practice of law. And being able to hear how other people are looking at and dealing with the same sort of circumstances, I think, is incredibly important. As a partner, one of the things that was, I mean, it was almost like overnight, partners talk to each other all the time about career development, about developing clients, about the strategy of how to run this business that we are all in. And I don't think associates appreciate how much partners talk to each other particularly because I think associates don't talk to each other enough. I mean, fundamentally, we're all in the same boat and we all need to be rowing in the same direction. And if we don't speak with each other, it's very difficult to understand who's doing what. That doesn't eliminate or doesn't negate the fact that that we're still in the boat and we still need to be rowing in the same direction. And I just, I think that people keep a lot of it close to the chest and I understand it. And I did it virtually my entire associate career, not towards the end, but I, I think it was a mistake. Discuss how you think about developing your career now that you're a partner, who you talk about that with, and how you see the course of your career over, say, even the next decade. I talk with my partners all the time. They are my partners in this business. They are my friends. We talk about clients. We talk about all sorts of things. I think it's an open conversation. And so I, I don't know whether it's who do I talk to. It's like, who do I not talk to? I think generally speaking, and to be frank, I've only been a partner in one partnership. And so I can't speak for how it works in other places. But I will say in my circle, in my little universe of Sherman and Sterling and the partners that I know and speak with, we are talking to each other constantly. We see each other as part of a collective. And it makes the choice to do this job worthwhile. It doesn't feel like something that I'm doing alone. And I think it's hard enough to do this. It's hard enough to do it for any period of time, let alone the decades that a lot of us spend doing it. And so to be able to do it among a group of people that you like and among a group of people that you feel are helping you and are working collectively towards the same things, I think, is really meaningful. Talk about taking control of your career, because you are not one of these lawyers who walked into a firm as a summer associate and was the right firm and the perfect practice, and you lived happily ever after. So talk about that process of taking control of your career, realizing you have to shape it, perhaps quite aggressively, and how you discuss that with your own associates. Yeah, I think it's hard because people's priorities change as they get older, as life circumstances change, as the world around us changes. I mean, (laughs) not to use a cliche, but nothing is permanent. And so as things change, career goals change and ambitions change. I don't know that it's as static, but I think for associates, the advice is like, don't worry about it if you don't know. It's not that big of a deal. I didn't know, right? I thought that I was going to be one of the first people in my class to quit. I wanted to be a public interest lawyer, remember? And so I was only there to work for a few years and pay off my student debt. Obviously, that's not how things ended up. And I don't have a problem with that either. I mean, I'm very proud of the career that I've had so far, and it's not over yet. And I think that the notion that people change their mind, I mean, that's life. Life is dynamic and is interesting. And if you keep an open mind and you're constantly listening to yourself and to what is important to you at any given moment, then I think you have the potential to lead and to build a very exciting career that you could be really proud of. There's nothing wrong with changing. It's fine. Finally, talk about your Yemeni background in the context of 
practicing in big law? It's an interesting question. So as far as I know, I am the only Yemeni that I know of that practices in big law. I don't know of any other Yemenis in big law, certainly not in the US. And I don't know anybody else, even in Canada or the UK. I mean, granted, I know those markets a little bit less well than I know the US market, obviously. But if there are any other Yemenis out there, please reach out. I mean, I'd love to connect. There was one Yemeni that I knew who recently resigned. I gave him a hard time about it. And I told him he left me as the last one standing. And I know a number of people who've gone to law school who have tried to make careers for themselves in the law and have done so or not, but nobody in big law. So I'd love to connect. And if there are any law students or people who are thinking about going to law school, reach out to me also. And if you're wondering whether it's the right path for you, I mean, it's obviously a challenging profession, but for me, at least it's been really fulfilling. Laura, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, David. For Drinks with a Deal, I'm David Marcus.